So here I am, like, trying to assist in this, in my own vasectomy, because I got so wrapped up in it, I just thought, uh, I I guess I thought I could touch it. I don't know. Welcome into the very first episode of the Common Denominators podcast. Let's jump into some quick introductions so we can get this show started. I'm Ryan Smith, and for better or worse, uh, me and what my wife just reminded me this morning, my very monotone and one-volume voice will be hosting this episode. To my left, we've got who I refer to as Mr. Technology, Adam Ray. Uh, He's a man full of ideas. He's our editor. And I would say he's probably exhausted right now because he's been carrying this podcast up to this point. Next, we've got Daniel Knox. The audience will quickly find out that Daniel is clearly the most wise and intelligent member of the group. He's also got a great uh, quick and dry humor that, that he throws in at just the right time. He is also a math teacher, which I think ties in quite nicely to our common denominator's name. And I would 100% fail his math class if I had to go back and do it. You'd be be fine. You'd be fine. (laughs) Next, we've got our most colorful individual of the group, Mr. Kyle Binkley. I would say a good summary for Kyle is that he excels at coloring just outside the lines of comfortability for most people. He's the guy that everybody loves that will say the things that everybody else is thinking but is just too scared to verbalize. Next, we've got our youngest member of the pod, our resident millennial. I think every, every podcast needs one of those, right? <laughs> Mr. Lance Jones. For those that are listening and are trying to get a visual of what's going on in the room, Lance is by far the most physically fit member of the group, bulging and ripped muscles that we're all jealous of. Ah, made me blush, Ryan. <laughs> it's the truth. And last but not least, we've got Jansen Hart. Uh, there's a lot of things that I thought about writing for Jansen. I would say uh, one of the best things is he's a fellow ginger like myself. That's right. He is a true man's man, and he has amazing stories, which the audience will soon find out. And I always find myself, I don't know if you guys agree, but every time Jansen tells a story, I find myself thinking that could only happen to Jansen. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. yes, when Jansen's holding court, you better just be quiet and listen. So without further ado, let's get the show started. Let's do it. So next thing I think they would want to know is who are we and why in the heck are we doing a podcast? Uh, so when you when you look at our name, we we, we call ourselves the Common Denominators, and and I I'm a mathematician, and this this name wasn't my idea. Uh, I don't even know who came up with that idea, but we went through several names, several iterations of those ideas uh, before we kind of settled on that. So the name really does just uh, mean a lot to me. And in, in mathematics, the purpose of a common denominator is to be able to add fractions that have different denominators. So their basic objective is to combine fractions. They're fractured, broken numbers by finding something that can relate these two unlike terms. And I think that's our purpose. That's our ambition. We're all different men, different backgrounds, different careers, different talents, but we hope to use this platform to help other men, women, Christians, non-Christians, Republicans, Democrats, whoever, find some common ground and just be a better person. Uh, We're all about finding something in common within all of our broken stories. So that's kind of what the name means to me. 
That was beautiful, Daniel. Yeah. I didn't understand any of the math part, but that was, <laughs> that was beautiful. I'm now dumber for hearing all that, but it sounded great. No, I think that's, uh, man, that says it all about, about who we are and, and what we are. And this podcast kind of got its origin over uh, two men crying and hugging in a life group in front of a, a group of people that was impromptu. Uh, long story short, we had kind of an emotional uh, life group. We all go to church together and, and do life group together is kind of how we all met. And uh, we kind of got into an emotional topic that, that led Ryan to kind of spilling his, his heart in front of everybody about how he felt about everybody in the group and how close he felt to everybody in the group and how close that made him spiritually feel to God by putting those people in his life. And that led to me getting a little emotional and teary-eyed and somebody was cutting onions in the kitchen and kind of lost mine a little bit too and got emotional about it. And that led, after we left there, Ryan and I kind of got to texting back and forth because we have always great conversations in those settings and kind of open up as men, which is sometimes hard to do. And in a passing joke, I text him and said, you know, we should probably do a podcast someday. It'd probably be pretty good. And his response was, I think that's a great idea. So literally two minutes later, we did a group message with all the guys you hear sitting in this room and said, this is our idea, not knowing what everybody's response would be. And within two minutes of everybody responding, a month and a half later, here we are sitting in about 6,000 text messages during the day. If my boss is listening to this, my work productivity has been pretty low the last month with all the text messages and trying to get ready for the podcast. And Adam kind of taking the reins and figuring out how to record and put it on the air. So that's kind of how our our story goes. We we just kind of cried and we text each other and here we are recording a podcast. In case anybody's worried, my, I fixed the leak and my tear ducts are officially clogged back up <laughs> like they have been for the past 15 years. My man card has been returned <laughs> to me after that, that life group. So we've had a lot of discussion about a lot of different potential episodes uh, that we want to do over the years. And so I don't even know how we came to this one, but it was one of many, I would say 30 or 40 that we've already thrown out. But today we, for some reason, decided to put ourselves out there and talk about our fears. You know, when you think about it, everybody has them. And it starts from a young age. You know, the most common one is like everybody's scared of the dark. Every little kid is scared of the dark. We all had those, something similar, probably several fears as kids. You know, when you move into adulthood, especially for men, sometimes you carry along like your kid fears. Uh, but a lot of times, I think for most people listening can, can agree to this, you transition and you develop some new ones for whatever reason, whatever, for whatever's going on in your life. I know for men, for all of us sitting around, I don't know when the time comes, but at some point when you become a man, it, it, you don't feel comfortable talking about him anymore. It's like, it's a, it's kind of like a funny to think about, but it's like you're going to get thin from the herd, you know, or... <laughs> In that word, Darwin developed the uh, survival of yeah. the fittest was in dodgeball in fifth grade that, exactly. after he got destroyed. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you, and, and at minimum, you're going to get ridiculed to death if, right. you, if you even let it out or you feel like somebody's going to make fun of you. So, hey, we're just going to put ourselves out there today. Let's start out with our kid fears, kind of dip the toe in the water a little bit, get some <laughs> of the easier ones out that are easy for us to share and probably that, that the audience will definitely relate to. Man, I remember having just an awful fear of the dentist. I don't know really what, I didn't have like a bad experience, but I remember 
mom would tell me, hey, we've got a dentist appointment coming, and it was like the countdown to the nuclear war. I mean, I could not, I, I, I was fine going to the doctor, that not getting shots, but it was something about the dentist, just somebody so, messing around in my mouth. I don't know what it was, the numbing, I just could not. So were you like a uh, kicker and screamer, like yeah, hollering like at I, your mom? Were you just like to, internally, all this pressure? I think it was internally, yeah, I internalized it, and it's just, just this awful feeling of, going and man i remember being at the dentist and waiting room it's like oh, man this is it i'm this is the end for me I, this is he's gonna hit something in my mouth and it's gonna numb my face for the rest of my life and i'm gonna draw you know that drool feeling your swollen face i didn't love the dentist i don't think anybody in the world right. loves a dentist but i had a, a dentist that did anybody else have mr nose do you know what mr nose is the little like carbon mono- not monoxide What's the, the uh, gas? That would, that would, that would, yeah, yeah, it would that not would be a good option. Nitrous. Nitrous. Yeah. Put the little nitrous yeah. on. And I remember one of my fondest memories of a kid, which is awful, but I remember one time I think he gave me too much and I was felt like I was floating over my chair <laughs> looking down at myself. And that was awesome. Not to be confused with an LSD trip in college. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Daniel? For me, uh, and it's something that still goes on today is, is heights. Still nervous when I'm in a perilous situation at heights. And I think it's kind of afraid of, not just heights, but also afraid of falling. Uh, I, I can remember when I was like eight or 10, we were climbing a tree. Uh, we were searching for Abraham Lincoln's will. Yes, I was, I was, I've always been a nerd. And there was this piece of paper up in the tree and that's what we felt like we were going for. And, uh, and she fell out of the tree, like 25 feet up, broke her hip. It was really bad. Uh, and I think since then, that kind of always had this perilous fear in the back of my brain of, hey, you could fall from, from where you are. So uh, I kind of steered away from uh, roller coasters and, and things like that growing up. I've, I've since gotten over a lot of those fears. But as a kid, there were, there were times where I was sick in my stomach uh, and, and could not move, could not talk, could not do anything when I was in uh, a situation where I was high, couldn't, couldn't walk across bridges, couldn't do weird things like that. So how high up would you have? I mean, we're talking like two steps up on a ladder or? No, yeah, like, I mean, even even as a, as a younger kid, like like cleaning the gutters was an extremely nerve-wracking experience for me. Climbing on a roof today still makes me very nervous. How old were you cleaning the gutters? Is that what you said as a kid? <laughs> hey, you know, <laughs> hey, we, uh, you know, you, you grow up in Sparta, Tennessee, and, and your, your father yeah, puts you to work early. Labor. Yeah. <laughs> And for the record, Daniel actually manages and operates a uh, zipline course. Now. Yes, so I think he's, I think he's conquered he's the majority of those demons. fears. Yes, yeah. yes. I've actually now I have I have been tied off on a zipline holding a, a chainsaw before uh, cutting <laughs> cutting limbs down. So I I still have these fears, but I've I've found ways to cope. All right, so my fear is definitely a little bit different than everybody else's. Um, got a question? Do you guys remember Opryland? Oh, absolutely. So if anybody's local to the Nashville area and you've been here a while, you remember Opryland. It was a theme park, but now it has turned into a mall. That's a different story. Anyways, uh, a lot of my childhood was spent at Opryland. And this isn't really going where you think it's going. I don't have a fear of roller coasters or anything like that. My fear at Opryland was always around October. Opryland would do some type of Halloween special every year. And so they would have uh, makeshift haunted houses within the park. 
and they would have characters from you know horror movies walking around like Freddy Krueger, uh, Michael Myers, Jason would just kind of be you know, walking around the park um, and not necessarily being aggressive or anything like that. But as a kid, that terrified me, seeing all these characters come to life. And of course, my dad was just like, you know, oh, it's just, you know, it's just people in masks. Well, not to me, it wasn't. To me, I was worried, you know, Freddy Krueger was going to get inside my mind and mess up with my dreams and Jason was going to gut me or something like that. Uh, but in all honesty, looking back, I was probably way too old to be scared of something like that. Uh, but yeah, to this day, uh, excuse me, um, not to this day. All joking aside, don't, don't invite me to a haunted house. I'm just not going to go with you. But um, no, like that was my big fear. I, I really could not uh, walk around the park with all those scary monsters around. Uh, I'm pretty sure I left in tears a few times, but uh, I tried to tough it out you know, in front of my dad, but it, it didn't go over very well. Let's be real here. Parents do that on purpose, right? Uh, they try to rationalize it with you. Oh, don't worry. Jason's just a guy. That's just a guy in a mask. Well, so was the Jason. He was a guy in a mask that murdered everybody. I get it. You know, it's not helping me at all. And it was fine during the day. But when it got dark and they were walking oh, yeah. around, you couldn't see it coming. That was just sheer terror. I, I, yeah. I, I relate to that. I, mean, I remember those days. You're sitting there thinking you're walking next to your best friend. You look up and it's Michael Myers and he's got a meat cleaver. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and your parents taking sheer joy and the panic on your face. Oh, yeah. I guarantee my dad is listening to this episode cracking up right now because we laugh all the time about he, how he set me down, let me watch Poltergeist <laughs> when I was like five years old. You know, ruined my childhood. So you, you were just waiting around the corner in the kitchen and the chair stacked and static on yeah. the TV and just sheer I still terror. don't watch scary movies this Yes, day. same way. Full confession here. Scary movies, my wife will tell you. She loves them. I cannot. I don't do them. Don't, not at all. Yeah, the only scary movie I can go for is Ernest Scared Stupid. It's about as <laughs> as scary. That's a classic. Yeah, yeah. You know. And it turns out with Ernest's background, that was a scary movie. Yeah. <laughs> In the making. In the making. Jansen. I guess I'm going to knock off the uh, or begin the serious topics here as far as kid fears. Mine actually traveled up through high school with me as well. Early on, we, or I learned, teachers learned that I had a very difficult time with math and reading. So any type of schoolwork, test taking, reading in public, uh, reading in front of other kids was terrifying for me. Uh, A little later in life, did some testing and found out I was dyslexic to the point that by the time I reached sixth grade, which none of the guys at this table know this, maybe Ryan, but I, uh, Ended up having to repeat sixth grade just because I was falling behind and struggling so bad. So my fear at that point was a failure, of course. But it was just the sheer fear of of looking like an idiot in front of everybody else who seemed to be doing okay or understanding what they were doing. As I grew through it, the uh, some of the test taker or people giving me tests and so forth said, your brain at some point actually will rewire itself so that you can learn to read better. They actually said at one point, if you can get to at least an eighth or ninth grade reading level, you're going to make it in life. Like most written stuff beyond that is at that level for reading. My biggest fear was was crowds. Having to read in front of somebody, memorize something has gotten better. Luckily, I don't have to read anything right now. It's a work in progress. My oldest son, we found out last year, is also dyslexic. Uh, Either I gave it to him or early in life, I was being prepared to be able to work with him. So, question on that: What exactly is it? Are the letters backwards, or do well, you read backwards? There's or? several different types of dyslexia. Mine was more of uh, sentence confusion. So, 
dropping three or four sentences down or reversing, you know, a sentence that's on top of another. So it was primarily that type, not necessarily seeing letters backwards. With math, it was more that way. Sorry, Daniel, you would have probably uh, kicked me to the curb. <laughs> but uh, yeah, to answer your question, it was just sentence reversal. So I don't know like a lot about dyslexia, but I feel like it's very common. And so I think a lot of people listening to this probably can relate to it through either themselves or a family member. But like, do you remember, like you, you said as a kid, you felt, you know, that fear, like, do you remember what caused it? Was it like a time? Did you like, like fail in front of a class or when did you kind of figure it out and start having that fear? Yeah, I'd say it was about second grade. I'm not going to use any names because I remember the little punk's name, but in second grade, <laughs> He, uh, I was trying to read in front of a class in Miss Waite's class at Good Pasture, and I screwed up really bad. And he decided that it'd be funny to tell the whole class that it'd probably be best if I went back to kindergarten to start over. And I think that was the point that personally I started shutting down and not raising my hand or not wanting to uh, participate at all. Is that something that's trick like situations like that? Does it trigger it to make it worse as well, or is it just? I believe so. Uh, you know, luckily I had a good parents and friends and teachers that, you know, help you through that. I wasn't going to end up naked in a bell tower with a sniper <laughs> rifle, anything like that. So I was uh, not yet. I had a good, I had a good, uh, a good support system. So the sound you just heard, I think, was Daniel leaning back in one of Adam's chairs. I don't know if it broke. Uh, Daniel, can you give us an update on what's going yeah, on over there? The, the chair is still sturdy. I'm staying in it. It did crack a little bit. I'm not sure exactly where. Uh, Adam, I promise I will get some wood glue. I will I will uh, remedy the situation somehow. I don't know what happened, but uh, I'm, I'm probably going to have to spend some more time with Lance now and go to the gym way more often than I currently do, which is 0, 0.0 times a week. Maybe the chair was a little too high for you, Daniel. I'm looking at the, the look on Adam's face right now is that that could be a family heirloom. He was he had a, a deep sense of concern about that chair. We'll start a we'll start a GoFundMe. So mine is uh, I can relate to J to Jansen. We both went to Good Pasture. Mine is a is a fear of failure. Uh, in in elementary school, it was fifth grade. Uh, I was not a skinny kid. I was in the, I shopped in the Husky section at, around this age. I had fluffy red hair. And the only thing I really had going for me that I felt kind of good about was I was semi-athletic. And so somehow I made the fifth and sixth grade championship kickball game. And so there was like an all-star game. So they took the best out of our grade in fifth grade, the best out of the sixth grade. And so it was a big event. You know, only nine people, nine or ten people out of each grade, you know, made the team. The entire rest of the class, which is, you know, 60 to 80 people probably, were sitting up on the hill watching. And so I'm out in right field. So basically at this point, you're carrot top with some athletic ability. Right. With stonewashed jeans, probably a <laughs> Bart Simpson t-shirt on. Carrot top is a specimen of a human being, though, lately. Like, last time I saw him, he was pretty jacked. He wasn't in the 90s, though. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, 90s carrot top. Carrot top without the muscles. Yeah. Anyways, I'm out in right field. The first uh, sixth grader gets up to kick. He kicks it right out to me. A normal, routine fly ball goes right through my hands. I threw it in, you know, he got to first or second base, you know, no big deal. A couple kickers later in that same inning, kicked to me again, right field. It got in my head, right through my hands. 
And so I was rattled. And so at this point, no big deal. I go back, we kick, we get some outs, you know, whatever. Come back out to the right field again. First person in the second inning kicks it to me right through my hands. So you and got this the, time, your full-blown yips at this point. Oh, yeah, I've got the yips, and here's where it gets worse. I start, I don't know who said it, but I start seeing a kid point at me and say, kick it to him, kick it to oh, him. No, you, you were that guy. And so it was literally an onslaught of every person trying their best to kick it to me. And so I probably dropped, I don't remember, honestly, I, blo- I literally have blocked out the memory. But I remember missing at least five or six more. My, the center fielder was like, you know, a genius. He's like, hey, let's trade spots. As if they're not going to just start kicking it <laughs> to center field. They didn't see you switch by. And finally, after the game was well out of hand, and I'm sure that I had lost the game, I did lose the game for us. I caught one, and I caught several more after that and redeemed myself. But it was literally a humiliating experience. And because of that, I've, I have, even still today at times, a fear of failure in front of people. Have you played kickball since? I have played kickball. I feel fairly confident, but I, I can't lie. Time to, From time to time... It'll pop into my mind, like, are you going to catch it? Are you going to catch it? (laughs) Adam? Uh, Yeah, that's a good segue because uh, my fear as a kid was being left out. I was uh, was the fat kid growing up. I was afraid that uh, Friday night was going to come and I couldn't go to the mall and movies with my friends because they were going to another mall and movies. You know, sometimes it happened, most of the time it didn't. Most of the time, just like everything else we fear in life, that you're afraid of something that's never going to happen. But um, that was definitely a fear of mine as a kid. And, and honestly, if I'm being real, real it's, uh, it's still a fear partially as an adult. A lot easier to deal with as an adult than a kid, but definitely a fear as a kid. Kind of like an athletic thing where uh, I'm the last guy picked at dodgeball or... Yes, I was, Kyle. All thanks right. for, uh, so just thanks digging for that asking. out. just wanted to kind of scratch um, that Dodgeball, moon. baseball, basketball, football, pretty much you name it, I was the last one against the fence. I was the right fielder. I was not the athletic one that, that uh, Daniel, or uh, that Ryan was, or Daniel, I guess for that matter. If it makes you feel any better, we the other five of us did have plans of starting the podcast, just us, but then we... <laughs> We decided we might need a little bit of extra help. So that would have taken we, me right we, off. We, we didn't know how to run the mixer. Exactly. So. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Whatever my contribution can be, at least it's, at least it's, it can be. So, I mean, just one more question. I hope I'm not, like, prying too much here, but how does a kid know, like, he's overweight or, you know, he's dyslexic, like Jansen Ansari? Like, I mean, when did you know or how did you know that? How, how did you get that fear? Well, I mean, the overweight thing, we can get super serious here if we want to. I don't plan to, but... Uh, I mean, I, I recall vividly in like fourth and fifth grade knowing that I was a little bit bigger than the other kids. I mean, I wasn't like 600 pounds or anything. You know, I was like 450. Well, you weren't that overweight. Yeah. Then. No, yeah. I, no. Hey, I, I, I didn't go to the fat camp, but I went to something similar to that. And uh, yeah, I, I remember vividly it being an issue and, and, and having to deal with that. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't know when as a kid you, the, the, the glasses come on, so to speak, you know, it's, it's, you know, most of us here all have kids under 10 years old and I think they're fairly innocent. And, um, you know, once they start getting over at that age to where they recognize that they've got maybe like Jansen, you know, like yours with, with, with some, some learning difficulties, it's, um, it sucks as a parent because now you, you, they're not innocent anymore, and they don't, um, you know, they, they're going to start dealing with the same problems that we do. You want them to be young and and fearless their whole life, but uh, time definitely comes, unfortunately. One other question I got, because obviously you're not, 
you're not the overweight guy in the kickball class anymore. You're in shape. You work out. You also work out. At what age or what point did you say, okay, <clears throat> I'm not going to be the, the fat kid in the room anymore or whatever, however you politically correctly put that? After I graduated from high school when I was 19 years old, I uh, joined the Air Force. I thought that would be the – my brother was in the Air National Guard. I thought that would be a great idea to do and kind of follow his footsteps. So I started really working out and lost a bunch of weight and went to basic training and lost a whole lot more weight. And then after that, in, in the years after that, I, I put most of it back on. In 2005, I think I, I really got serious about it for the second time in my whole life. And I lost a bunch, and I haven't I hadn't put it back on. And I don't plan to. It's uh, it's a struggle, and uh, it's something that I have to make a decision every day. Do I want to gain a pound, or do I want to eat a bag of cookies? <laughs> yeah, I, no, no kidding. Adam, I think I've known you for like eight, nine years now. I did not know you were in the Air Force. I, same here. Same how, situation. How have I missed that in our almost decade of... Well, I'm not in the Air Force, well, so that's probably why well, you were, yeah. uh, you were misguided there. But now there's more, to, there's more to that story that we'll get into another episode, but uh, I definitely did go to basic training. We'll leave it at that. But Adam, something you mentioned during that was that your childhood fear kind of morphed uh, into your adult life to some degree. I think it's just like a perfect segue. I mean, we wanted to start out kind of talking about some of the things we struggle with as kids. But again, even as men, we still have fears and things that we're scared of. And, and certainly most of them we, we uh, don't share very often or at least to very many people. So let's just jump into that just for a few minutes. Uh, Lance, why don't you, can you kick us off? Absolutely. I'll just cut straight to the point. I have a fear of essentially having the wrong body part or part of the body worked on. Let me elaborate on that for just a second. So let's say, for instance, God forbid, you had to have something amputated, uh, like let's say like an arm, and you go in, and they take off the wrong arm. And that means they still have to eventually take off the one that's damaged. So you're pretty much up a creek. A another example, let's say, you know, God forbid, you have a cancerous or, or damaged testicle. They go in, they operate, they, tag they take out the wrong testicle. Well, sorry, Mr. Jones, we just removed your testicle and, and we, we think it was the wrong one. Can you put so, it back? Yeah. So, so now they've got to go in and take out the right testicle or, or the one they should have removed to begin with. And so then you're left with no testicles and you're on hormone therapy for the rest of your life. And, and you may think, hey, that's kind of an irrational fear. Like this, this doesn't happen. But it does happen. And it did happen. In 2013, a Pennsylvania man had this happen to him. I say my favorite part of the story, but, uh, you know, this sounds terrible saying that. Essentially, this guy, they found out that he had damage to the testicle, and the recommendation was to have it removed. And the reason he had damage to the testicle is because he had a history of being accidentally kicked in that testicle by his daughter. Damaged testicle, guy goes in, they take out the wrong testicle. It, same thing happens. They have to go back in, take out the one they should have removed to begin with, and the guy's on hormone therapy. I think he eventually sued him and won, like, maybe a million dollars or something. I just can't imagine something like that happening, like uh, the hospital's failing this guy so bad. So just praying that that does not happen in the future. Couple, couple questions here. Sure. I've got to believe that a busted testicle is worth more than a million, right? I mean... To me, it seems kind of like a lowball offer. Yeah. Oh, it <laughs> you. There we go. Yes. Sneaky humor. This, this fear, was it just through a 
situation where you read about this and heard about it and like, oh man, that's terrifying. Yeah, so I think I have an addiction to reading weird, weird stories on the internet. And I'm pretty sure I did read about this Pennsylvania guy. And I feel like there is an amputee story too, where it happened the same, same kind of thing happened, took off the wrong arm. Can't remember specifically, but yeah, that's definitely how this, this, this fear stemmed. Uh, well, that's another accidental perfect segue into mine. So I'm, I'll start out with a story. This happened this week, and so this particular fear has, has come full circle. Y'all have all heard about this before from me. So my wife goes in to the lady doctor this week, mm. and uh, I don't know what goes on in that room, but I, I heard a little tidbit about the end. And evidently, they, the doctor likes to talk to your wife's, and they have almost like a little like therapy session. And what I, what I heard was that they keep a diary of their conversations. It comes to the end and they start talking about procreation and all that type of thing. And, and Catherine says, no, we don't want to have kids. And so they get into the, my big fear, the vasectomy oh, talk. Boom, 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 boom. Speaking of losing and, a nut. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So they talk about it. Uh, my favorite part of the whole story was that as the doctor is trying to literally type this note in, so it's almost like a game plan, like, Let's go make your make your uh, husband have a vasectomy before you come in next year. The computer freezes and she literally cannot get the note in, and she she just starts cracking up. The doctor and says, "Maybe this is a sign," and so I, which I of course agree, this is a sign. So I, I've been thinking about it. I've been scared of it for a while, and I started thinking about it. It's like every man listening to this. I know you guys are on the table can relate, but from a very young age you know to protect yes, at all costs. I mean, yes. That's the fastest reflex in any man's body is <laughs> to protect that area. And so you spend your whole life, literally your whole life protecting it. You, you've, we've all been hit there. It's very painful. And so now I'm, you know, by mid thirties, yeah, any man that decides you don't want to have kids anymore, that this is part of the conversation that could come up. The argument Catherine would have is that you spent your whole life thinking this one way, but now you get on a table, buck naked from the waist down. You let another man touch you in that area. With the, he splices you open, redoes your plumbing, and oh, by the way, your parting gift is you get to watch the entire thing while you're awake. I just can't do it. I literally nope, cannot do it. So I thought I could, but I just can't. So full disclosure in the room, who is still of childbearing capability and who ha- is there anybody that's been vasectomy? <clears throat> This is Adam. I can speak for that. I believe there's two of us. No, I'm sorry. There's, there's three, three of us. us yeah. A half yeah. the group has been. So I'll, I'll tell my story. I was excited to get it done, but I wasn't excited about the process. Very nervous, obviously. Uh, just just any kind of uh, medical thing I'm, I'm nervous about. Uh, especially something as sensitive as that. Got a referral to a doctor here in Nashville from my neighbor who had it done, and apparently this guy was, you know, really good. Went to see him. He was funny, and and my thought was, if this guy is as good a surgeon as he is a comedian, then I'm going to be doing really well. There's basically three ways that you can go about this. You can you can go where you're knocked out. You can go a Valium, and you can get nothing. You just go straight into it. Well, there's still some uh, local yeah. anesthetics. Oh, uh, yeah, like, sorry. Well, I, I get, maybe there's a fork. You get a yeah, shot of whiskey and you bite a bullet. Yeah, there's yeah, a fork. That's pretty much it, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I went I went with numero uno. I, I didn't want any part of it. I wanted to be asleep. Knock me out for the weekend if you want to. I, I had no problem with that. So I signed up for uh, for that. The deluxe package. The del- <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was there was no expense spared there. Fast forward to 
the day of, I show up thinking for some reason that I signed up for the Valium. Um, I get there and they said, okay, you signed up for to be knocked out. I'm, I'm losing the word for some reason. but Sedated. Sedation, thank you. You signed up for sedation. It's like, wow, I, no, I thought I signed up for a Valium. That's even better. This day's getting better and better. So uh, she said, why, have you have you eaten? I was like, yeah, I had a bowl of oatmeal and a cup of coffee. She said, oh, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly I felt the exact same way. She said, no, you, you can't eat or drink for X amount of hours. Like She said, you're, you're going to have to just get a local. Well, now I'm really freaked out. So I, so I said, all right, fine. And so I go in the room, they, uh, they prep you, and uh, the person prepping me was, um, let's just say she wasn't attractive, uh, so it wasn't as bad. Uh, so uh, she says, she, you know, the doctor will be back, and I wait for like 5, 10, 15 minutes. She pops in, says, okay, he's running a few minutes late. Great. I've got nothing going on. I'm just half bare laying on the table waiting for this thing to happen. And uh, so finally, about a half an hour later, he, he, the door opens. He walks in. The lady prepping me walked in. And then another lady who was not a, a part of the initial consultation walked in. And let's just say that she was very attractive. Oh, um, yes. So just to interject yeah. real quick, question. What's involved in the prepping? Are we talking about out comes the straight blade razor and a little uh, Gillette and we, well, we lather up? And... There's, there's two portions of the prep. There's the prep you do and there's the prep they do. And let's just say the less you do, the more they do. <laughs> uh, so you you are definitely wise to do as much prep work on your own. But the but their prep is, um, let's just say there's some tape involved. For me, it was a really heavy-duty duct tape. Some formaldehyde. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so yeah, they, um, that's an interesting process. So anyway, uh, won't go into a lot of detail. I will say that, that it really didn't hurt much. Um, I was, I was complimented multiple times throughout the process, um, which I didn't know how to take. Okay. Now, was, was this Wait, from the attractive person <laughs> that complimented you or? No, this, unfortunately this was the doctor oh. that complimented me. Um, and, when, but I should I should back up for a second. When I saw the attractive lady, and let me preface, I'm married for nearly 12 years. I've got two wonderful daughters. The last thing I need is a 25 year old surgeon. Uh, so I, there was there was no uh, there was no thought in my mind like I need to make a good impression. I was just completely embarrassed. And for some reason, as a guy, the more attractive the person is, the more embarrassed you're going to get in a case like that. Remember I said that the unattractive lady I had no problem with. The attractive girl comes in, uh, suddenly I'm extremely shy. But basically, I picked a spot on the ceiling, and I never took my eyes off that spot. It was a good 10, 15 minutes. She at one point put her hand on my shoulder, asked me if I was okay. I acknowledged her, never took my eyes off the ceiling. So with the ex- if she had never walked in, it probably would have been a great experience, quite honestly. As great as the experience can be with your manhood spread yeah, out in front of exactly. you. So I'm literally, I don't know if y'all can sense my body language change over here, but I've, I'm clenched fist over here on the table. Just hearing surgery in general just makes me nervous. <laughs> you this should. is making me worse. So let me just summarize. You go in, you've got a comedian for a male doctor. You think he's funny, but he's still getting ready to touch you down, down south. You have to lay half naked on a table for an extended period of time mm-hmm. with little painkiller. And an attractive nurse comes in and watches the whole thing. Is that? That's you nailed it. Yeah, that was it. I mean, there was and that that didn't even get into the actual cutting and burning. There was some burning involved. I, I will say, in all seriousness, 
it really was not a bad procedure at all. Uh, I have no regrets. Uh, well, some regrets. I, I, I would have taken the sedation, quite honestly, even now. But uh, it's not a bad procedure, and I am extremely thankful that I did it. Jansen. Believe it or not, Adam and I actually visited the same doctor. Uh, I think in the group I was the first one that decided to get this done. So it wasn't a buddy, right? Y'all didn't go at the same time. No, we should have, and we could have held hands, but (laughs) it didn't work out that way. So for some reason, I've always been a little weird and loved like surgery channels and watching live surgeries and stuff like that. So I was pretty pumped about actually getting this done. Watched a couple of vasectomies on YouTube. Uh, just to see. That's so when you I hope could, your wife doesn't see your Google search. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't Very do it. Normal. I didn't Very do it at work. So I did watch a couple surgeries just so I knew what to expect. If the doctor passed out, I could finish it, whatever I needed to do. But uh, yeah, so I go visit the doctor. He checks me out, which is awkward in itself. Take your pants down. He checks you. He even made a comment. Adam talked about how he's a comedian. He was telling me how the surgery would go. He said, "Yeah, we can, we can lay you down on the table." He said, you can hold it under your chin or I can tape it to your chest. And he was like, uh, laughed about it. And I said, yeah. I said, uh, I wish that was the case, but um, not this time. But anyways, uh, so after that, you wait like a pretty long time before you actually have the procedure done. So you got a lot of time to think about it. So same situation. I get brought into the, uh, get brought into the room. Scared to death. I knew a friend of mine's wife worked there and I was terrified she was going to walk in. And that, that's just beyond awkward. So she comes in, she gets me set up. I did my prep work at home. I recommend doing it like a couple weeks in advance. So if you do have any nicks or scrapes, you don't want to go in with your balls looking like Freddy Krueger. Um, so get it good. So you recommend a good Mach 3 Turbo? Mach, well, straight like a safety razor and just use some shaving cream on them and get them, get them glistening. Um, so I went in. You get laid back, like Adam said. She tapes your twig to your wherever it reaches, and uh, then you wait. And I waited for about 45 minutes. Uh, The nurse, however, stayed in the room, and she'd leave and come back in. She was on her phone some, so I don't know if she was taking pictures. Was it pointed at you? Uploading them. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, So after a long wait, he comes in. He said he apologizes. You know, he had a surgery that went long, and... And that's when they start the prep work. The most painful part of all, they give you a shot, like directly into your ball sack. (laughs) And it feels like somebody is stepping on them and just smashing them in the floor. Uh, After that, you feel nothing except like tightness. I'm this weirdo that likes this stuff. So I'm like up on my elbows, like looking down as, as best I can to see what's going on. And he's like, do you want to see what I'm doing? And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. At that time, you know, he kind of slices it open and he pulls out what's called the Vans Deferin. Oh, yeah, the Vans yeah. Yeah, so it looks just like a piece of spaghetti. Oh, so I had spaghetti for supper last night. <laughs> yep. So it's a little tougher than that, kind of like, uh, almost like an umbilical cord type, you know. It's real, al dente Real spaghetti. tough, yeah. yeah. Once he starts his procedure, there's this burning sensation. Not sensation, but a burning smell. And it does sound a little bit like a... Like a sparkler on the Fourth of July, where it's kind of like definitely. I, I remember that sound, that smell distinctly. He then says, "Would you like to look at a piece of it?" Because they cut a piece out and they send it off to for testing, make sure there's no diseases or cancer. But I say, "Yeah, sure." So he shows me a piece of it and he sets it down on the tray. Well, then a few minutes later, um, I'm getting really into it. At this point, I'm almost like 
looking down at it. I'm bent so far forward. And out of nowhere, for whatever reason, I start like reaching like I'm going to assist. And I get down so close <laughs> that the doctor says, wait, don't touch it. You hadn't scrubbed in yet. <laughs> I know. I know. So here I am like trying to assist in this in my own vasectomy because I got so wrapped up in it. I, th- I guess I thought I could touch it. I don't know. But um, he said, don't touch it. I backed off. He finished up. I think they cauterized the end of it, put a little staple in, tuck everything back in, and sew you up. Afterwards, no pain, put my clothes back on, drove back home, hung out on the couch for a couple days, and uh, that's about it. So you went to no sedation? You just had the local? Yeah. You didn't have volume or nothing? Nothing. Just the local, shot in the balls, you're good to go. Well, thanks, guys. I know I feel a lot better now. Oh, I can't wait listen, to. Listen, I'm going to stay fertile until I mean, I, just, they stick send, me in the ground. Yeah, send me this doctor's <laughs> name when we get in there. He's the best, by the way. If the podcast gets bigger, we'll we'll plug him. So uh, a lot was said today. I think it'd just be good for us at the end. Just throw out off the cuff, like what did we learn today? Now I'll go first. I learned that. Even more than ever, I do not want to get a vasectomy. <laughs> uh, I learned that Ryan is a horrible kickball player. Uh, may or may not have carried over to adulthood, but I don't want to take a chance. Uh, I learned that Adam at least had a, uh, a stint, a rendezvous with the Air Force. So we're going to have to hear more about that story. I learned that uh, Jansen is um, very into trying to perform his own surgery. I learned that the vast difference look like spaghetti. And I learned that um, no matter how old you are, we're all going to be, uh, we're all going to have insecurities. And the most important part is to know that we're not alone, that everybody you're around daily is uh, suffering from the same insecurities or their own insecurities. And um, as Christians, it's our job to uh, lean on each other. And we've learned about each other today, and y'all have learned a little bit about us today, and uh, we hope to carry that on throughout these podcasts where we're six guys that grow closer and closer, and through that, um, we're able to, uh, to bring the public in and um, help y'all form the same relationships that we are. Guys, this is what I really enjoy, getting into this kind of stuff with you guys and all the funny stories. And But what I like the most is it always ties back into a spiritual thing where we really get kind of deep and, and give each other advice and, and help each other with the struggles we're going through. And that's what I like so much about this group of six guys, and that's kind of what led us to this podcast. And I guess kind of the land of plane today, we, we always want to kind of tie it in spiritually or something we've read. And and fear is, is something that the Bible talks about a lot and, and how to deal with fear. And I guess really my, my favorite all-time Bible story is Gideon. It's over in the book of Judges. It talks about basically the Israelites were, were put in, were under the Midianites, and they kind of turned from God, and they were living in an extremely oppressed situation, and they finally reached back out to God. And he basically picked the guy of the least family, the weakest guy of the least family, um, in the whole tribe that was that was under the Midianites and, and basically took him and, and made him the hero. And he destroyed the, the army, but he had a ton of fear and he talked to God about his fear and he even requested God to prove to him three times that he was the guy for the job, which he did. Um, 
And it's just kind of a, a good verse that really ties that in is in Judges 7, verse 3, where it says, Now announce, this is when Gideon had already, his army was whittled down from basically 20,000 people to 300 people, and that was so God could prove his power back to the Israelites. And his last little bit of fear was... Uh, was kind of squashed when he said, Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave to Mount Gilead. So 20,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So basically, because of their fear, God wiped out half of his army, and then he would go on to wipe it down to 300 again just to prove God's power. So I think that really ties into us that if God can take a weak man and give him 300 soldiers and defeat an entire army, then, you know, what do we have to fear? Because we have each other, we have God's love, we have all that going for us. So I kind of think that was, that's my favorite Bible story. And, it, and, it, and you know, Gideon was the poster of child for fear. So kind of always look to that, that God took a man that had basically no power and turned him into a hero with 300 other men. So that's kind of how I feel. And thank you guys for being here and, and digging deep and being honest and sharing your stories with everybody. That's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please hit that subscribe button. Tell a friend. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at CommonPod. That's C-O-M-M-E-N-P-O-D. And if you have a question or comment for our group or you'd like to submit an idea for a future podcast, please email us at commondenominators at gmail.com. Again, C-O-M-M-E-N denominators at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. Down